Well, it has been 10 days now since Resurrection Day. It's been 10 days since we gathered with our local communities of faith to celebrate Easter. But if your life is like mine, a good deal has happened in the last 10 days. I've received emails from students who've talked about crises in their lives, parents and family who are ill or sick. I've received emails from good friends who are encountering difficulties, including a house full of bedbugs that must have transported themselves back from vacation with them. And in the last 10 days, my life has consisted of identity theft, a car accident, and plumbing flowing everywhere in my house. <clears throat> 10 days ago, it was Easter. But it's a little difficult to remember Easter in the middle of the chaos of life. But 10 days ago, we gathered in worship and we announced the Lord is risen and we all responded, he is risen indeed. The alleluias that had been buried for all of Lent were returned to our lips and spun out in glad adoration. Everything that Easter is about has come back to life but it's so easy to think of Easter as that one day on the calendar when maybe as a child you got new clothes and new shoes and Easter baskets and Easter lilies and then Easter evaporates. But this week in chapel and for the rest of the semester, Easter hasn't evaporated. In fact, we're busily engaged in celebrating the great 50 days of Easter. It took us 40 days to climb toward Easter with Jesus as he got, drew closer and closer to the cross. But after that, those days of slow movement, deep introspection, analysis of the sins of our life and the things that we needed to let go of, we've now entered a period of great celebration this great 50 days of Easter. And if there's anything that helps us draw back to the promise of Easter, it's the text that we read today. This text that we read is situated on the evening of Easter. The disciples have heard from Mary Magdalene that she has seen the Lord. She's reported to them everything that he said and yet it doesn't quite yet seem to register for them. For we find them in our text locked in a room for fear that they might experience the reprisals that Jesus experienced at the hands of those who would wish to kill him. Jesus' disciples have heard that the Lord is risen, but they don't have a framework to understand what does it mean that he's alive when we saw him dead. And yet he comes to be among them. He greets them in that locked room. He finds his way in, in his resurrected body, and he greets them with the most ordinary greeting of the day. 
peace be with you. That one level peace be with you is like saying, hi. Or for some of you from the South, howdy. But peace was the common greeting of the day. And yet when we read the text, when we listen to what Jesus is really saying here, his announcement of peace goes beyond greetings, friends. It goes to the very heart of the gospel to say, I'm alive. Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus tells the disciples that they're going to be scattered. They were. They didn't stay with him at the cross and through his suffering. They were scattered like sheep. And now, like sheep, they're huddled together in a small room, afraid of what might be outside the doors. And the shepherd has now come to present himself to them. He doesn't come wagging a finger saying, shame on you, you've disappointed me. He doesn't come saying, you did exactly what I told you you were going to do. But he says, peace. He says, you belong to me. And he comes with such tenderness that he offers himself to him to them in a way that says, look at my hands and see my side. I really am the one who hung on the cross. I really am the one who died. But I'm now alive, and I'm present to you, and death has not held me captive. Peace. Death has not held me captive, and your fears no longer have to hold you captive either. That's good news. We need to hear that good news. There are some of us today who sit right here in this room, locked in the rooms of our own fears. Fears not for people coming to arrest us or perhaps coming to take our lives, but an abundance of fears that gather up and pile up on our lives to the point where we wonder, how is it that we can be faithful to the one who has been so faithful to us? And so today, we want to announce again, as we've already sung and as we've already prayed, the risen Lord is right here in our midst. The risen Lord comes to us today with the same tenderness that he came to his disciples on that first Easter evening. And he stands before us and he lifts his hands and he says, I died that you might have life. I hung on a cross, and I was buried, but I was raised by the Father in the power of the Spirit, and peace is yours. What an amazing gift. It's our prayer today that all of us here who are haunted by those fears that seem to hold us captive will hear the word of shalom spoken over our lives so that we too can be set free from the very fears that would hold us captive and keep us from being the fullness of, of experience and the fullness of our life of discipleship. 
The amazing thing about this passage, though, is that Jesus' announcement of resurrection peace doesn't just stop with you can have peace in your personal life. It doesn't just stop with don't worry about the guards outside the door or the threats in your life. Jesus comes back, and he says peace again. This time he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, I don't know about you, but that so I send you part is enough to actually create anxiety in my life. (laughs) I know how Jesus was sent. Jesus was not sent on an easy path. His path of obedience took him all the way to the cross. His path of obedience to the Father and the power of the Spirit meant that he was willing to sacrifice his life completely that God would be glorified. And now, on the evening of his resurrection, he's spoken a word of peace over the temporal fears in the life of the congregation. And then he switches gears and he talks about a deeper level of peace. It's a level of peace that says, I'm sending you to be my ambassadors to the world. I'm sending you to be the ambassadors of shalom, wholeness, and salvation to all people who have yet to know me and the life that I have to offer. This resurrection peace that he's calling us to be a part of is bigger than any of us can accomplish on our own. And so is it any wonder then that Jesus goes on to say, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then when he said this to them, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This level of peace that we're called to share with all of humanity is not something that we do in our own strength. It's the breath of the Spirit that fills and empowers us to live the very life of our Lord and share his goodness, his wonder, his forgiveness, his healing grace and wholeness with all that we come into contact with. And as I read this passage and see Jesus breathing on these disciples huddled together on the evening of his resurrection, my mind goes back to the beginning, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. And in my mind's eye, I picture the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, gathering up clods of clay and out of the dirt that he spoke into existence crafts a human being as a potter crafts pottery i see god crafting the nuances of a human form out of the dust of the earth so intricate intricately that he makes sure that this dusty individual has nostrils into which he can breathe the breath of life. 
Our Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, has fashioned us, the clay of the ground, in his own image and breathed into us the breath of life. And we know the story well. We know that as human beings took form and Adam took his place in God's created order and was gifted with Eve as a companion equal to all that God was calling humans to be. They lived in peace with God. They lived in harmony, in shalom, in a garden. The scripture doesn't tell us how long they lived in fellowship with God in that garden. When we read the text, it almost seems like the day after they were created, they sinned. But I have a sense that that may not be the case. You know, Scripture condenses things pretty tightly for us. And so could it be that after Adam and Eve are created, created to live in fellowship with God, that they enjoy a span of time in the garden, fellowshipping with their Creator, walking with the Lord in the cool of the evening, enjoying the limits and the parameters of a life that is very good. It seems to be the case. But somewhere along the way, temptation came into the picture and human beings turned away. And when we turned away and our love failed, everything else seemed to spin out of control, didn't it? Any hope of peace seemed to evaporate or at least move to the margins of life. And as we read the rest of Scripture, we read over and over again the ramifications of life broken by sin. Over and over again, we read human beings seeking their own way rather than God's way, and as a result, missing the very peace, the very fellowship, the very relationship that God had intended for them in the first place. But when our love failed, God's loved, love remained steadfast. And over and over and over again, God, the one who fashioned us out of the dust of the earth, said, I won't let you go. And he kept reaching out covenants with Noah and with Abraham, a covenant with David, promises through the prophets, bringing the people back from exile to their homeland, And finally, a promise of a Messiah. That Messiah was God's steadfast love embodied in human form. That Messiah was God's steadfast love present to us in Jesus Christ, the very one who lived our life, suffered at the very places where we suffer, the very one who died our death and has now risen that we may have the hope of eternal life.
So that one, that Lord himself, now stands among his closest friends. And he says to them, peace be with you. Surely, peace to bring a sense of chaos over the temporal things that are pressing upon your life. But the bigger call to peace in this passage is to say, I finished my mission. I've accomplished your forgiveness. I've accomplished your freedom from sin. And now I'm passing the mission on to you. And I'm passing the mission on to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. What a good word. Boy, sometimes we as Christians get a little confused. As a preaching professor, and those of, the, those of you who've had me in class know that this is one of my drum beats. You hear it all the time in class, how we can hear really good sermons, and then at the end, there's a call to go do something. And we're left with the impression that we just have to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and go be faithful because that's what a good Christian looks like. And in this passage, Jesus says, I'm not sending you out to accomplish my purposes in your own strength. I am not sending you out to bring the shalom of God because you've experienced it. I'm not sending you out to be the one who pronounces forgiveness in your own power. Jesus says, I'm sending you out fully equipped to be my disciples with the very same power, the Holy Spirit, who has equipped me to be faithful across the entirety of my earthly existence. What good news that even as the Lord speaks peace into our lives, peace that can be scary, because after all, how many of us want to sign up to go and die? Which is what we're called to do, isn't it? Die to ourselves that we might live to him. That's enough to cause anybody to be a bit faint of heart. And yet here on this Easter evening, Jesus says, Shalom, peace. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit that then empowers them to carry out the ministry that he already has initiated and he has already inaugurated. What, what an incredibly powerful picture of forgiveness. As recipients of those who have received forgiveness, we now can announce forgiveness to those who will receive it. And to those who refuse to receive forgiveness, we acknowledge that sad reality as well. As I think about this passage, I think about the early church, and I think about their practice as they gathered at the communion table. And the church gathered to share communion together. They engaged in a practice of confession of sin. And after they confessed their sin, 
they engaged in the passing of the peace. Often in our churches today, passing of the peace is more like the hello, howdy, how are you kind of passing of the peace. Um, and the, yet, the early church, their expression of passing of the peace was the peace that Jesus points to in this passage. It's the peace that says, I've confessed my sins. And as one who stands forgiven before God and forgiven in community, there's nothing that is hindering me in relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's nothing that's hindering me in coming to the table. So today, as we come to share in the Lord's Supper, we're going to practice passing the peace. Not all of you know everyone here, and that's a good thing. We need to remember to pass the peace, not just to the people who are our friends and our buddies, but also to the people who are strangers in our midst. And as I think about passing the peace, I remember a time a number of years ago when I attended a small United Methodist Church in Lexington, and someone um, quite notable in the public eye began attending our little United Methodist Church, and he and his wife happened to sit behind me. He'd be the sort of person that everybody'd want to shake his hand. He's on TV all the time. But he'd slip in, he and his wife would slip in at the end of the worship, or at the beginning of the worship service, and they'd slip out quickly at the end. But the church that I attended practiced the passing of the peace every Sunday. And it was more than, hi, how are you? We were limited to these words, the peace of Christ be with you. And the response was, and also with you. So for nearly two years, on almost every Sunday, this person that you would recognize immediately sat directly behind me in worship. And when I turned to greet he, he and his wife, I could extend my hand, not because he was someone notable, not because he was someone I saw on TV, but as a brother in Christ and could say, the peace of Christ be with you and hear back from him and also with you. So today, as we come to the table, as we share in confession, we'll also share that ancient practice of passing the peace. It's the peace that Jesus was passing to his disciples, saying, in the midst of all of the pressures of your life, perhaps even including bed bugs, the peace of Christ be with you. But even at a deeper level, the peace of Christ as empowerment of the Holy Spirit fill you to all fullness that when you leave this place today, you will go in the power 
of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's been 10 days since Easter Sunday, but we're still living in this great 50 days of Easter. As we come to the table today, let's come with the fullness of resurrection life in our hearts to receive all that God wants to do within us through this means of grace. Amen.